What's up, Moto Buddies? Mike here from Taco Moto Co. Who are we? We make and sell the ultimate products to perfect out your Austrian dual sport motorcycle, um, a KTM EXC, EXCF, XCFW, Husqvarna FE, and FES. And soon we'll be developing uh, some, some products and components for the Honda CRF 450L, RL, and X bikes. Uh, we build out bikes for our clients and friends from Sunday Trail Specials all the way up to fully equipped global slayers like what RTW Paul is riding on as he uh, travels around the world on an EXC 500. In late 21, we'll be rolling out a full-service suspension shop as well as a motor program, full rebuilds, blueprinting, balancing, getting rid of the motor buzz and the big board KTM thumpers, top-end valve grindings, uh, the works. Uh, we want to extend, ultimately, what we're after is to extend your ride day uh, and your endurance and your stamina and be able to keep you on the bike for more riding years. We've got a bunch of 70-year-old riders out there who, with our help, Hopefully, we'll be riding well into their 90s. Taco Motico, find us on the spe- on the, out on all the socials. Uh, go out and get some adventure. On episode 69 of Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, you'll find Jimmy by himself yet again talking about a variety of things such as the anti-squat chassis design, two-stroke carb tuning, spooge, fuel and air screws, as well as oil ratios. As you listen, you also find Jimmy talking about trials bikes, adventure bikes, enduros, and reveal what's even the best bike for you. Now get ready, because it's showtime. And we are live at Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. This is the show where we answer your motorcycle and motorcycle product-related questions. We have a few... um, different ways of answering those and we have a new soundboard we have a new yamaha in the house so hopefully everything sounds better than it has on the last two or three of these shows Uh, we do the show live on facebook every tuesday night at 7 p.m pacific standard time we put it up onto the youtubes we turn it into a podcast so you may be listening to it on a few of those different platforms but you can always join us someplace else tell a friend about it uh support the companies that support us and as you can see uh ktm supports us and uh with that i have a little project that i'm gonna work on i've been i've been uh, working on uh one of my co-hosts uh logan uh with homework projects so we're gonna call logan and uh, make sure he's doing his homework uh i had to pour my own uh drink tonight having loma azul tequila which i managed to locate this stuff's been kind of hard to find uh so Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, having a little little bit of Loma Azul tonight, um, and I don't have a bartender tonight, uh, so uh, she is, uh, well, I don't know, it's code word. She said she had someone coming over for a massage chair ride at her house, so I don't know what that means, but uh, Janie can explain that later. And then uh, I got Bob in here, because there's nothing else to do in Pahrump, right? Yeah, he will correct me anytime I say what words am I going to screw up tonight. Handling, uh, uh, what was the buffeting, buffering, and there or there. Yeah, so we'll try to get all that stuff sorted out. Hopefully the sound level's okay. It looks pretty good on my end. Um, uh, Cheers to all you guys. Thanks for joining in. Mm-hmm. We have a couple really good questions. We're going to get, I'm going to go straight to the questions in the, um, 
in the room because you guys are here ready to go. And uh, we have representatives from Alaska. I saw David Potts, and isn't David an Idaho guy? I know, and George is now Montana. That's why he's not around anymore. Uh, Craig Alberts is Washington. Uh, that's good. Uh, and then we have Baja Diaries, which is uh, not Baja, but like he's he's almost close to Baja. Like he's close enough to L.A. where he gets confused whether he's in Baja or not. So uh, yeah, Mark's uh, checking in, and so we've got uh, I got a lot of text messages, mostly from Victor. And if you know Victor, uh, I don't see Victor in here, which means he's probably been banned from Facebook again, which is like a biweekly occurrence with him. And he sent me a whole bunch of, uh, if you saw the posts we did on the Facebooks today about the, um, I had a reader, a viewer, uh, kind of come in with these uh, technical drawings where he actually drawed out the uh, swing arm angle and the chain torque and wrote formulas for it. And uh, it was it was peer reviewed. This information was peer reviewed by other people that that know more about physics than I do. And they said that it was for a motorcycle uh, podcast slash people participant. It was fairly accurate, if not uh, extremely accurate. And the numbers all worked out. So I would like to thank uh, a viewer named Lad. Uh, and I, I have a question from him. I'm gonna oh, I'm gonna read his email that he sent because it's actually pretty interesting. Because we we sort of got into it last week uh, in reference to um, the uh, Fortnite review. Four nine. I don't know what what's it, what's his this thing. He does those uh, uh, Fort Nine. I think is what it's called. They call F nine, and uh, he did a Tenere review, and he was obviously told that the swing arm position and counter shaft position increased the uh, help the stability, help the traction uh, with anti squat, and I couldn't. I was never told that, and I actually called the Yamaha guys in the in the testing department, and they said. Uh, we didn't know about that. Uh, and the marketing guys said, uh, we didn't know about that. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes maybe different um, regions, you know, he's up in Canada. So maybe in Canada, somebody told him that this bike is designed for anti-squat. But from what I know about motorcycles, uh, it didn't make sense to me. Just And then in riding it, uh, I didn't feel that because I felt that before in different chassis designs. And we're going to talk a little bit about BMWs. Because I know I know that they were very particular about this and a lot of different things, especially with the shaft drive. Because you get jack shafting, shack shafting. What do they what do they call that, Bob? When your when your drive shaft binds up and lifts the back of the bike up, jack sha jack shafting, jack yeah, sha <laughs> something like that. It's not that kind of show, but uh. But anyways, uh, and then they actually on some other bikes they did some pretty interesting things. So we'll get into that question. But thanks for, to Lad for kind of going through this because I I brought up the 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 ATK chain torque eliminator, which was on ATK motorcycles and also was something you could buy and bolt onto your other motorcycle as well. And it it definitely did some things. And just like anything, it changes the way the bike is designed to work. And so you have to modify the way your suspension works and do all kinds of stuff. So we got in a pretty uh, lengthy discussion about that. And hopefully you will learn something about that. Here's the interesting thing about that. Aside from, uh, aside from 
you know, all this stuff when we talk about the the swing arm position and the chain torque and stuff, that's something that's actually pretty hard to modify. You know, like when you buy your motorcycle, everybody wants to change their suspension and change their power character or get more power usually. Like you're kind of stuck with where, you know, for regular people, where your swing arm is and where it is in relation to the swing arm pivot. And you've heard me talk a lot about factory bikes and everybody goes, oh, you know, if I had a factory bike, if I had work suspension, and I always say it, it comes with a price. It, it just because it is a works bike or factory bike doesn't mean it's necessarily better than the stock one, uh, or better than the production one, or better than the one that maybe you could make for yourself. But on factory bikes and works bikes, they do things where they use eccentric bearings in places that you wouldn't even imagine because they can't change the frame and they can't change the swing arm. So sometimes they have bearings that are offsetting the position of those parts they're moving the motor forward backward they're lifting the motor up and down to move the uh to move the 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 counter shaft into an ideal position for whatever they're trying to achieve uh you know so and then you know you can change it with linkage linkages you can change where your swing arm is sitting a lot of times based on stuff um with different dog bones and or um linkage knuckles you can and then every time you lower your suspension, like if you shorten your suspension, which is a common thing for people to do on a lot of bikes, it changes the angle of the swing arm and that changes the way everything works. And like, I typically don't like the feeling of bikes that have been lowered because they get long and they get very stable, which means they're also a little bit reluctant to turn. So there you have it. And we also got in a discussion about some of the bicycle designs, the bicycle suspension designs that actually use a four point system that allow the wheelbase to get longer as the bike compresses down in the suspension stroke. And, you know, just knowing some things about like the motorcycle, generally the swing arms angled a little bit down. So as you squat it down and maybe get it to, to, to sag position, that's, you know, usually where the wheelbase gets to be about its longest, maybe a little bit deeper in the stroke. And then, and then as the swing arm pivots up higher, the wheelbase actually compresses uh, a little bit. And it all depends on what the front forks are doing at the time and, you know, which wheel you're uh, riding on and all kinds of crazy stuff. But we will, uh, we'll get at that. Hey, JB Black, how do you like the hat I'm wearing? He's checking in from down under. We got viewers from Australia where it's probably tomorrow. Is it tomorrow there already? <laughs> How's tomorrow? I hope tomorrow is better than today. <laughs> um, so, and George asks, Jimmy, has anyone ever put the front sprocket on the swing arm pivot and run a separate chain and sprocket from the engine to power that? Well, I haven't seen that design, but BMW did actually, and this is where we're going to get into it, on their 450 off-road bike, they put the swing arm pivot through the center of the countershaft sprocket. So that was a whole different way of uh, kind of accomplishing that same thing. And the chain would run at a constant tension. In other words, you ran your chain pretty tight and then the countershaft sprocket was the pivot. So in some design uh, ideas, that is the ideal way of doing things. But uh, that bike had some different, uh, different characteristic as well. So yeah. Um, Mitch is going back to cooking. I'm I'm sure Mitch uh, sure glad that cooking is uh, better than Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. Hey, since uh, this is you know could get boring. Hey, I want everybody on the on the uh, oh, <laughs> and then 
uh, David threw out the Boysen link on Bob Hanna's bike, which I remember Bob Hanna saying it was a Suzuki RM. It was like it was like the full floater of full floaters, and that was that same thing. It was the four the four link, four, four, bar, link. four bar link. Yeah, on a, on and I heard that he said that that thing worked amazing. Uh, it just weighed a lot, <laughs> so. Yeah, it was a pretty crazy thing. So good. Thanks, David, for putting that up there. Um, hey, you know how you're on all these different pages or you're probably members of groups on Facebook and these guys, uh, they're always asking a lot of questions and, you know, you want to answer their questions. Sometimes you do. And sometimes they can't find answers. So if you're a member of one of these groups right now, I'm going to I'm going to say go ahead and uh, click over and find that page and put a link to this particular show up there right now and tell them if their question is burning a hole in their brain right now, I will answer it. Uh, me and Bob from the peanut gallery will, uh, we will, uh, make sure that your question gets answered. And I, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I won't leave tonight until all the questions are answered. How's that? So you can tell them if they, you know, they can go have dinner like Mitch, uh, they can cook dinner and then they can come back and get their questions answered but with that i'm going to do something i'm going to do something new here i'm going to go and we are going to call logan who is on vacation and see if we can get logan on the show because he has a job <laughs> we'll see how this works out he's uh, i think he's up in the washington area as far as i can tell and uh, he, I, I warned him I was going to do this, and he's probably hiding from his phone. He's not going to do it. I'll call him like three or four times tonight during the show. But I was going to make him do the, the KTM read. Oh, we're not going to get lucky. Not tonight. Maybe I should call somebody else. <laughs> if, some, if somebody else has the... Uh... Hi, how you doing? <laughs> That's Logan's voicemail. So uh, if, if anybody else would like to try to do the KTM read off the top of their head, uh, <laughs> put it up, in the, put your phone number up in the chat room and I'll call you and you can uh, give it a, uh, give it a shot. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Our sponsors of this show, one of them is KTM, which is powered by a distinct ready-to-race mentality. KTM is the world's leading high-performance and street off-road motorcycle manufacturer with North American headquarters based in Murrieta, California, and I was there last week. Over the years, KTM has built a reputation as a fierce competitor on racetracks around the world, and the brand's remarkable global success is reflected in every product it develops and every move it makes. Thank you to KTM. Uh, another uh, sponsor just to come on, sign on with us is Recluse. Recluse makes awesome auto clutches, but they also make uh, left-hand rear brakes. So if you would like to operate your rear brake uh, with your hand instead of your foot, they can help you with that. And they make all kinds of high-performance clutch products as well as the auto clutch. So if you're looking to improve your clutch performance, uh, go to Recluse. What's cool about them is they want to do some giveaways and some projects and some contests uh, as we get a little bit deeper into this. So um, keep an eye out for that stuff. And of course, climb. Uh, we announced our winners today on a post uh, on dirt bike test of the uh, climb show us your junk uh, backpack uh, fanny pack challenge. Uh, 
we announced it at the end of the show last week. And then it was kind of funny because um, Heather, my wife, actually uh, congratulated one of the girls and and uh, and she said, is that a rumor? <laughs> so not a, I don't know how they found out about the contest. Not a listener of the show, but that's OK. <laughs> maybe they uh, maybe they will. So uh, anyways, um now everybody's saying hi to each other on the chat rooms, and I'm going to get right into uh, one of the questions. This is on our KTM 390 video. GP Traveler 1972 says, great analysis. I am currently trying to decide between this bike and the Honda CRF250L. Currently leaning towards the Honda because I heard KTM bikes are more difficult to fix when there are issues. However, I'm glad you talked about seat height. With my 29-inch inseam, this bike is a better fit for me. So, um, I'm going to go to the seat height thing first, because at 29-inch inseam, the seat heights of either of those bikes shouldn't really make much of a difference to you. I'm a 30-inch inseam, and um, it doesn't make any difference. I ride a, <laughs> my adventure bikes with tall tall seats because uh, like I always like to say, I don't like to put my feet on the ground. And when I do, I will move my butt off to the side of the seat and very easily put a foot on the ground. Um, the, the KTM, even though the seat height is a little bit lower, the seat is actually a little bit wider, especially farther back. So for some people that don't like to scoot forward when they want to put their feet down, they find that the seat height isn't as low as it appears. So uh, let that kind of give you a thing, but Leaning towards Honda because I heard KTM bikes are more difficult to fix when there are issues. So I got back to him. I actually responded to this thing on Facebook and I said, the only way I could see there being a difference between these two bikes um, on issues and, and harder to work on is the KTM actually plugs into computer that the dealers have a, uh, you know, a tool, a digital tool that plugs in to the ECU and they can talk to it. And really the only time you would need to plug into that is when there's like some codes that you can't retrieve via, you know, generally on that bike, there's a, there's a service section you hit the service section on the menu and it will show the fault codes. It'll tell you what they are. They don't go into detail about them, but it tells you what they are. And I don't know if you can reset them there. I haven't had any fault codes come up other than when I, uh, I disabled the, the, the wheel speed sensors just to see if it, would cause a problem and it didn't it said the sensor was bad but then when i put it back in to the uh into the spot where it goes it went away and the light went off but so sometimes you know since it's a dealer tool you have to plug into that could cost you you, you can't do it yourself but you may have to pay someone to do it where the honda the honda 250l has nothing like that it does not plug into anything um so that could be the only thing. And then, and then, but as far as like basic maintenance and parts and things like that, it's going to end up net net being a tie. Um, you're not going to find one brand of those two brands. That's going to, uh, I believe cause you any extra, extra grief. And then I, I think some people might even jump in and say, Hey, well that KTM, the 390 specifically is made in India. So it's not up to the same standards as the stuff that stuff that's coming out of Austria. And uh, well, I don't, know exactly where the honda is made <laughs> so i wouldn't say it's 100 percent made in japan so it's you don't know where things are made it's in, in, in reality it shouldn't make too much of a difference because the brand is badging it as one of theirs and they will probably stand behind it 
and hopefully it's the same durability as all their other stuff. And so far with our KTM 390, the only thing we've had an issue with is fork seals. And that happens. Uh, we've had the fork seals uh, start to weep a little bit. And that happens on all different kinds of bikes for various reasons. So that answers that question. GP Traveler in 1972. Ron Donato asks, I am looking to get into dual sport and I weigh 250 pounds. Is a 250 too small, and should I be looking for a 650? Well, you didn't tell me your height and your inseam. <laughs> so um, if you're 250 pounds and you're 4 foot 10, um, the, the you're more concerned with the bike size uh, in like the seat height and things like that than you are about like the displacement. But I will tell you that I have found... Once you start going south of 200 pounds, the 250s will lack a little bit in throttle response and pickup, but they're not, it's not, you're not going to slow them down. Um, in fact, you're probably going to get really good traction and um, the bike will <laughs> do just fine. It'll get you around. It'll go the speeds it needs to go um, even at your weight. But I think when you're starting to get up around 250, your, your, your weight actually mellows out the bigger bikes and does make them a little bit easier to ride because um, the power doesn't lunge you so quickly uh, <laughs> forward. So um, it's a toss-up. I think it's, it's really what you're comfortable with. I would if, if you're just getting into dual sport, I would go ahead and get a 250 knowing that you're going to ride it for a little while decide whether you like this, get comfortable, and then maybe move on to something bigger. A uh, great stepping stone. So that would be uh, that would be my choice on that thing. Um, and Garrett tells me the Honda 250L is made in Thailand. So um, I was right. I didn't look, I hadn't looked at the, uh, at the tag just to see it yet. So when are you going to do a review on a 2020 beta? Garrett also asks, um, I'm not going to do a review on a 2020 beta. I want to do a review on a 2021 beta. And uh, those plans are in works, but uh, just it's a time issue. Time is a uh, time's hard to come by. <laughs> and George tells Ron just to get a KTM 500. And I, I could agree if I didn't. If Ron said, I want to get a dual sport bike and I weigh 250 pounds, I would say just get a KTM 500 also. And that has nothing to do with the fact that KTM does sponsor and support this show. So take that for what it's worth. You could get a Husky 501 too. And I'm not going to say Husky anymore. Well, we're getting test bikes, but they should start advertising as well, I think. Hmm. Okay. On to uh, next one. So Lad Johnson is the one who gave us all the information uh uh, back on the swing arm uh, Fort 9 review uh, on the anti-squat and from what we can uh, from what we can assess is the reason he's calling it anti-squat is he feels that when you get it get it give it the gas we think that it stiffens up the suspension and holds it up so that that the bike uh, doesn't squat down and that that helps the traction feeling that we keep talking about the really good traction, the traction control that the motor has that is not done electronically. 
I can't actually see that working. And in fact, in fact, he says, I listened to your show about Fortnite review on the Yamaha Tenere suspension anti-squat design and agree with you that his explanation doesn't make any sense. I also read that the AMP patent, uh, which is ATK or I don't know if it was AMP. Uh, it was AMP was what Horst was calling it when he got the patent. But it's uh, it's Horst Leitner, who was the owner and inventor of ATK motorcycles. Um I read that the AMP patent, and I don't think it claims about totally eliminating suspension suspension squat, is necessarily true also. The reason is to totally eliminate chain forces affecting suspension forces and is to have a chain line of action go through the center line of the swing arm pivot bolt. This way, the torque applied to the swing arm is zero because the movement arm, the distance between the chain line of action and the swing arm pivot would be zero. So that's what the the ATK design is is trying to do. So he continues, in reality, you can't always have the chain line of action go through the swing arm pivot bolt. Uh, Well, it's impossible. Let's assume we can do this. BMW does this to a certain extent with the drive shaft. That's kind of what they're doing with the drive shaft, but where it originates is a little bit different. because as the swing arm pivots up and down, that distance between the chain line of action to the swing arm pivot bolt also changes. This is because the countershaft sprocket and swing arm pivot bolt are not concentric. It is this variable distance and the chain tension fluctuations caused by motor torque that has effect on suspension forces. Even if you aligned the top of the countershaft sprocket to be, though, to be Conscendent? <laughs> cons- Conscendent. Con- Coincident. Co- Coincident. Is that how you spell that? No, spell I'm an editor. C O I N C I D E N T. Coincident. Coincident. Even if you align the top of the countershaft, so through my spelling uh, and my uh, naivety on reading, that gives you time to process the information that he just dumped on you in the first half of this paragraph, because we're going to keep going. (laughs) I got it, Bob. Uh, Let's see. Even if the top of the countershaft sprocket to be coincident to the tangent line of the swing arm pivot bolt, this would only work at one particular angle position of the swing arm and only during acceleration. Deceleration would cause a jacking motion because the bottom portion of the countershaft would probably be further away from the swing arm pivot bolt. So he was, what he's saying to, 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 cause I had time to read this over and think about it because it's common sense to me just cause I know about chassis design is that if you, if you try to take advantage of a position of the, the countershaft for acceleration it could end up being a disadvantage or cause the opposite effect um, on deceleration. So, so there's there. And so if you're on off throttle, you know, there's some changes there and uh, we have the peanut gallery raising their hand again. The bottom line of all this is there's no free lunch. Yeah. There's no free lunch. That's not a, there's no physics that explains that every reaction has an equal and opposite. Quantity has a quality all of its own. I understand. Back to back to lad. The best a suspension chassis chassis designer could do is minimize the jacking squatting portion for to minimize is minimize the jacking squatting forces is to position the countershaft sprocket in the ideal location relative to the swing arm pivot bolt. This is 
This at best is a compromise based on my explanation above, just like we said. The amp link based on some of my hand calcs and free body diagrams. Uh, those are the ones I posted on the, uh, on the uh, Facebook for you to review and, uh, and comprehend before the show. <laughs> uh, tries to make the distance between the chain line of action, and the swing arm bolt relatively constant through the full range of motion of the swing arm and under acceleration and deceleration. It does not reduce that distance zero. It just makes it constant. So the suspension will still be affected by motor torque, but independent of swing arm position. So it addresses one out of two sources causing squatting and jacking caused by chain forces. Probably the best design to address these chain forces on rear suspension is BMW's countershaft sprocket concentric with the swing arm bolt on their dirt bike 10 or 15 years ago. So this is what I was going to talk about because I do have some quite a bit of time on that bike. This addresses both minimizing the distance between the chain line of action and swing arm. However, this would require a complete rethink of suspension dampers design because now that the chain tension forces are no longer part of that equation. Maybe that's why it didn't work that great and needed further development. I don't remember. I, I do remember. <laughs> uh, I hope this makes sense. I do robotics design for a living, so these types of problems are familiar to me, uh, which is obvious. Um, and <laughs> he sent me the free body diagrams and calculations, and yes, it was helpful. Uh, I think a lot of people looked at it. A lot of people complimented um, your uh, 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 explanation of it, and your math worked out good. So let me tell you about some BMW things. So the, so the 450 that they built, they designed that entire bike to work around a couple very interesting um, and very awkward concepts, very much like an ATK, by the way, uh, interest, interesting and awkward. So the whole motor was designed to be as short and as compact as possible. So the clutch was on the crankshaft and because it was on the crankshaft and it, and it, and it made it so that they, they um, didn't have a, they want to have the two transmission shafts a lot closer together the motor had to spin backwards of what is conventional because if it spun the other way, the countershaft would be going the wrong way. So in order to get the countershaft to spin the right direction, the motor ran quote backwards, which made some for very interesting handling characteristics, which some of them were really good because when you got on the gas, it actually pushed the bike downward, not upward. Okay, because most bikes, when you get on the gas, they, 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 the, the engine naturally wants to lift a little bit. This bike actually wanted to push down. And even when you're going up hill climbs, you could actually feel the bike for whatever reason. And I think it was because of the, the extra weight on the, on the, on the crankshaft because of the clutch made the bike want to squat a little bit or push down. It didn't actually squat. It just wanted to, it wanted to push down. Plus the way that that suspension worked, since it was a lot, a lot more free and it didn't, it didn't. Uh, and the way you really feel this is like when you're going to land off a jump and you gas it to stiffen the suspension, it doesn't work on the ATK or the BMW. You didn't get that advantage of, of having that tension. And I think it's more of, I don't think it's actually, I think it somehow it's just that all that torque binds everything up more than it actually affects the, the, the action. But uh, don't ask me. I just tell you how it works. I don't know why it works. Uh, I would kind of say it was a little bit more like that. 
So the other interesting thing that I spent a lot of time working on because my BMW rally bike had shaft drive was the angle of the shaft and the and the and the swing arm and and specifically the position of the rear drive um, and how <clears throat> and how the different angles of that affected the way the bike accelerate accelerated and stuff. So it had a torque arm that went from the chassis to the rear drive hub on the swing arm, kind of like a drum brake. In the old days, the drum brakes had an arm that went from the frame to the to the to the um, uh, the 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 essentially what was the brake carrier, so that when the so the suspension can move without the brake affecting. Because when you locked up your rear brake, and it actually happens now on on regular bikes, if you start if you lock up your you start dragging your brake, it causes the bike to squat. Because the the because the, the the brake is attached to the swing arm, and that force starts you know it binds up the wheel and then the chain pulls the the chain ends up pulling the trying to pull the the swing arm into a squatted position. So, yeah, and so there's there's so when when you started playing with the angle of the drive shaft uh, and the and the rear drive in the back, it completely changed how that bike. Uh, reacted to to acceleration and deceleration like if it was if the angle was was too aggressive the bike would just hop and and shudder and just just it would literally almost lock up and it was also because of the 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 drive shaft the u joint the 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 cv joints inside the drive shaft would start binding up because they were you know kind of extreme angles and stuff like that so all that stuff has a huge bearing on on how the bike how the bike works. I felt that that BMW with the with the sw- with the swing arm pivot at the counter shaft was was just like the ATK. If you came out of those, if you ever have been on one of those trails for like the UTV style bumps or those 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 choppy in the, inside the ruts, those choppy bumps that just cause bikes to kick and buck, those bikes would under acceleration just hook up and drive. And, and the only thing I felt that worked better than, than that BMW was another BMW called the HP two that actually had an air shock. And what that bike did was air shocks feel like they have absolutely no rebound damping to most people. They follow the ground better. They rebound quicker, but they don't rebound in a manner that lifts the bike up. It allows the wheel to move very quickly, um, especially on rebound without causing a, a bucking of the bike. And so combining, you know, a really good, um, a well-designed chassis pivot position that doesn't have a lot of effect on the, uh, on the swing arm and allows the wheel to move a uh, huge, huge advantage. So, um, yeah, those are, uh, those are some of the, <laughs> some of the things that kind of come into play. And I think somebody commented here about, the higher the counter shaft would cause squat, but acceleration force through the line of the chain is negligible compared to the rotational or inertia forces. But it's an interesting theory. Rusty Nail. That's probably his real name, right? <laughs> um, and and there's some dirt bikes that that have that have the swing arm at an angle and they they run a, a high chain buffer pad. They actually use the chain buffer pad to lift the chain up a little bit higher um, to to kind of aid in some of the, you know, the handling things and boy, do they wear out <laughs> chain buffer pads. There's bikes that just eat through them and it's kind of, sometimes it's to mask a 
handling trait or to, to improve a handling trait at the expense of chain guide pads. So um, note that all the manufacturers have moved the countershaft as close to the swing arm pivot as possible to reduce this effect. Back when the ATK deal was made, the countershaft sprockets were many inches from the swing arm pivot. I think Mako was maybe six inches away. You're right. I do remember that. Uh, so everybody learns. We learn, um, we learn, uh, and Chris Real corrected me, the brake stay is the name of that part that I was looking for. The brake stay, which is the, the holding pad on the thing. Uh uh, HP2 air shock. What about the way that the WP track shocks work? The track shock is, is in my experience is trying to accomplish that kind of that same feeling of very quick rebound, but it's still, the rebound is controlled mostly by a spring and the spring seems to care more about its position than the, than the air did. I don't know if I'm explaining that right, but, uh, uh, this, the track shock, feels a, about like 50% like an air shock is the only way I can explain it just from, just from riding uh, both of those things. So yeah, lots of, uh, lots of info there. Now we're all chassis designers. So now you can go run off in every other form and tell everybody they're all screwed up because their chassis messed up and they're, they're, they're hopeless trying to get the suspension fixed. Does that work for you? <laughs> uh, okay. In famously unknown, says, I am in the USA, California, and I just got my Tenere 700. It's bitching, by the way. I am commenting on the mention of no chain guide or tensioner. This bike has two chain guide tensioners above and below. A guide does not come stock, but there is a Yamaha option to buy one. There are several Yamaha options for the Tenere 700. So thanks for uh, infamously unknown. Uh, yes, for correcting me again. Uh, about the chain tensioner versus chain guide. Yeah, it does not have a chain guide, but there are chain tensioners or just uh, chain rollers uh, in on that bike. So Lem, Lemski says, awesome review and the feeling you know what you are talking about is very strong here. Wow. I say this because I do not know your channel yet, but the way you put the bike into test makes me feel that it's not only a surface blah blah talk from guys that pretend know what the bike is like like often goes on on youtube thank you and congratulations oh thanks lemsky uh hopefully you know our channel and you will um you'll share it with others uh because we want to do more of this uh it's it's a matter of it takes a lot of time like why the reason you probably don't get um really good quality reviews uh from two different kinds of people. So um, the one is maybe a, a, someone who works as a journalist or is a, you know, in the, in this is in the same line of work, if we call it work that I'm in and they have to go out, go ride the bike and have the test done in 20 minutes after they get back from riding the bike for 20 minutes. And I'm not kidding when I say that it, it's all about timeliness. Everybody wants to get it done. So there's no time for testing. And so they just come back and they say, blah, blah, blah. They usually regurgitate what the manufacturer told them three times during the presentation, or they, you know, cut and paste what the manufacturer provided in all the PR material, and they just have to get it done. And even if they do have some insights, they don't get the time to explain them or to actually really go out and evaluate it. 
Sometimes manufacturers like this because generally the reviews are pretty positive because that particular journalist would like to come out to the next intro. And if they don't write good things, maybe they don't come, especially if you don't know who they are and they don't have that many followings or they work for a big media outlet and that media outlet just gets to come for whatever reason. And then just, they're just going through the motions and then you get, you know, your sort of user reviews. And some of those are actually pretty good. Uh, but unlike the other journalists, that user doesn't get to ride 20 different bikes and doesn't have a whole lot of a background to explore and explain stuff. There's not as much is not as much experience coming in to explain that stuff. And then they also find out that it's hard work. I mean, as much as you want to talk about your bike and put the information out there and do stuff like that, it ends up being a lot of work to, to do that. So. Um, you can't really blame, you know, the, the guys that are go out there and, you know, especially the ones that are doing it on their own uh, for, you know, trying to do a good job, but everybody's trying to do it. And um, it's, uh, it's not as easy as you would, as you would think. Uh, Chris Real says old factoid, the development on the Suzuki floater was first done on a Husky in Pasadena. One of the development items was a hydraulic shock with an air spring. I was somewhat close to that project. Suzuki became the customer for the bell crank without the shock and the air spring a long time ago. And that, that, that design worked. I remember the flow faux floaters back in the day were really good because, because there was, there was that. And then Kawasaki had the Unitrack, which just didn't have the floating part on the lower, on the lower part of the, the yeah. Yeah, so that was uh that was kind of one of the bigger designs, and didn't that get into some sort of legal, right. le a lot of, a lot of legal battle battles? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was is that what the end of the full floater? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. I was just a, I was a youngin at that time. Yeah, more parts is never any good. It seems like everybody just homogenized into that standard shock linkage that we're all, you know, that most bikes, at the exception of the PDS KTMs, are running these days. Menard H says, I don't know. This overall review seems just too good. I suspect there's more to the story. Good review to address a list of items like that. Um, so he's talking about our Tenere 700. What more to the story do you want? It's too good. I actually wrote him back and said it's just a too good of a review. <laughs> it's it is what it is, man. I it because I get people, you know, whether they know me or they just run into me someplace and like, hey Jimmy, what do you really think about this? You know, Yamaha Tenere seven hundred. And I'm like, I did a twenty four minute video on it. Uh, <laughs> what question did I not answer in that? in that video because that's what I really think. And until I think something different, um, that's the, that's it. I don't have anything extra to, to say other than the, the, the buffeting is, <laughs> is, uh, good. Can you do the seven KTM seven ninety R as DDB tube? I really like the review, especially the suspension segment. Well done. Um, we could do the 790R. Uh, one of our one of our buddies has one, and he's he's uh, offered it uh, to us to review if we would like to. Um, it wouldn't take that long because I've ridden the standard 790, and I've ridden that 790R suspension. So 
Um, maybe we should just do like the other guys and walk around it with a camera and talk about all the blingy stuff. Um, Moto Sly. Oh, says corrosion on the tank vibration problems in the steer and some other problems are coming up after one year. He's a rapper. Moto Sly. Uh, let me break this down. Corrosion on the tank. I think that's one thing. He says that happens. Vibration problems in the steer. I'm guessing he's not a native English speaker. And I don't know if vibration problems in the steering tend to refer to head shake, but I don't know. And some other problems are coming up after one year. So he thinks that there's something that's breaking. I asked him to elaborate, of course, in rhyme, um, you know, and, you know, set it to a beat, break it down get it to us and we'll play that. We'll premiere your uh, problems with the Yamaha Tenere live on Tech Talk Taco Tuesday brought to you by KTM. <laughs> uh, Kimo John, uh, he just threw this up right before we got on to the, uh, got on to the show here. He says, in Arizona, you can put a license plate on anything that goes down the road. And he's talking about our KTM 501 uh, test. So I don't need someone to tell me what bike I can put a license on. My full race bike with the license plate tucked under the rear fender does just perfect out here. Keep your California laws out in California. Okay, chemo. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not in California. I'm in Nevada. And I agree with you. I want to keep California laws out of Nevada. And uh, I, I'd like them to go away from California too. But uh if you can put a license plate on anything, which I know you can in Arizona, because I, I, I've done it. Um, your full race bike. I just hope your full race bike isn't as loud as some of the Harleys that people are riding around. Um, and I'm sure it goes down the highway just as good as you would like it to. But I guarantee if you got on that 501 and went down the highway, it's much better than your full race bike. But we're dirt bike test and we don't ride down the highway. So, um and when we do our top speed stuff, we do it out on a dry lake bed. <laughs> so we're not breaking any laws. Uh, MP says, why won't Jimmy talk about the air idle screw adjustment on a KTM two stroke like the 300 XCW? And the topic of two stroke black smooge, spooge coming out of the pipe and or constant leaks near the power valve cover. How to affix, adjust, repair, etc. Well, I wouldn't talk about it because I wasn't asked the question. So now, since you brought it up, um, air idle screw adjustment on a KTM two-stroke. Uh, this is, it's like anything. So you can adjust the idle through the idle screw and you can adjust the fuel mixture through the air screw. So two strokes have air screw, four strokes have fuel screw, just typically. So the air screw, and the way you tell is if the if the screw is on the front of the carburetor, usually on the bottom, that's typically a fuel screw. If it's on the back of the carburetor, on the side, it's typically an air mixture screw. And you're essentially adjusting the same circuit with those two things, just in a different way. Most bikes, manufacturers like to have their, their fuel or air screw, air screw, either one, set at about one to two turns in the range of one to two turns. And my experience is if you're more than two turns, or less than one turn, you can adjust the pilot jet up to compensate for what you're trying to do with the screw. Uh, 
So let me say that again, just so you're, you're, you're aware of it. If you're, if you're from one to two turns and you're, you're perfect, your pilot jet is correct. If you're, if you're two and a half turns, your pilot jet is off. And since we're talking about fuel and air screw, we're going to switch back to two stroke because we're talking about air screw. So if you're at two and a half turns open and the way we check it is you screw it all the way in and then you unscrew it half, one, half, two, half. That means you're letting more air in, which means your pilot jet is probably too rich. In other words, you need to take your pilot jet down a size and then you can probably go in I found it depends on the carburetor with some Acuna or Kian or whatever. You can go in a half to a one a turn based on the pilot jet. Now, the effective range of a fuel screw and an air screw to me seems like about about two full turns. Um, so from you can get from a half turn all the way up to two and a half turns. It's going to do something. And after that, in either direction, they kind of stop doing anything. So, uh, and, and these days it seems like because of the bad gas and more so in four strokes is you're having to open your fuel screw up to compensate for that plugging pilot jet and two strokes don't plug the jets too much, but I find that people are having to close down the air screw, um, more and more because of, um, bad fuel, bad jets. So that's the, the, uh, the, 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 so we'll go back to just talking about air screw only. When the way I like to adjust it is I like to have my two stroke so that it idles and then it stalls. So it idle, it'll almost idle for five or 10 seconds and it'll slowly stall itself out. So it's, it's almost like you have no idle, but it's not a complete shut off of idle, but there's, there's some idle. So I don't want to go to complete shut off of idle because I don't want the bike to stall, but in normal riding, you're never really going to be at zero throttle for, you know, five or 10 seconds unless you're going down a hill or something so it won't stall so when you're set there that's where i start doing the fuel screw or the air screw and the air screw for me works for the first maybe 16th of a turn of throttle so it's how the bike kind of comes off of that idle so it's it, you you've shut it down and it goes ding ding and it's down to idle speed and then you turn the throttle and that's where the air screw comes into play and so what i'll do is i'll just bear I'll, you know i'll do it at idle and I'll just barely crack the throttle and then I'll move the, 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 the air screw for almost a full turn of range and just listen to the motor. So I'm holding the throttle to steady and you'll hear it kind of rev up or rev down. It'll change as you do it. And, and you find when it, when it's going up, up, then you go back and it starts going down, down. And you, you, you find there's a point in there where it just gets right. And this is, a, it's a feel thing. It's something that you learn from years of doing it. And it's something you have to practice. Self-destruct sequence activated. Yeah, that's uh self-destruct sequence activated. Cheers. Um we're gonna keep this going. Self-destruct sequence activated. Uh so that's not my Yamaha that's breaking. That's uh I believe it's the Mevo. I just hope it didn't fry the Yamaha. <laughs> Because something else on the other one fried, and I don't know why it would do that. So anyhow, um, uh, where, do I, where do I need to... Cheers. Um, we're going to keep this going. <laughs> where did I need to roll back to? <laughs> Start where I start. I started talking about the beta and the... And the um, so the 
the oil injection on on the betas and the KTMs were running, you know, like our beta, when we calculated out, it was it was more near 80 to 1 on the fuel oil ratio um, compared to, you know, when we were mixing it at 60 to 1 or whatever it was. So, um, okay. Sound works better. That's good. Great sound now. Why do I need the soundboard? Well, I have to take calls. Actually, let's, uh, let's, I'm going to try something else here. Uh, where's, uh, yeah, I, got, I started getting text messages on the show that we're, our sound is cutting out. Let's go here. See if we can get a, get a call into, to little Logan. It's time for him to do this. He's hiding. I know he's hiding from the, from the show. <laughs> uh, and so the last question was, the constant leaks near the power valve cover and how to fix and adjust that. And so I've never had the constant leaks near the power valve cover uh, unless you're talking about the... So there's two different things. There was those ones that were leaking actually at the seal on the face or the front of the cylinder. And then there's the oil that leaks out of the side of the power valve cover that goes from the side cover up to... The, it's where the actuator arm is. And we actually have a post on dirt bike test that tells you how to clean, how to, how to fix that. The majority of the oil you see in there is coming from your transmission. That's transmission fluid that's going up, splashing down, and then leaking out of the side. So, uh, uh, and then on the power valve covers, on those two side covers, especially the one on the opposite of the activation arm, uh, that's a chamber. That's an open chamber inside of there, and that can also fill up with quite a bit of uh, oil residue and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, look into that. So, uh, why won't I answer that question, uh, MP? I just did. There's your there's your uh, question. It's loud but better. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to go figure out an after after production here. Let me see if I can turn the volume down on this. I'm going to go like this. How's, oh, come on. There. That's, I dropped it down a little bit. Um, uh, and Rusty Neal says his new Yamaha fouled a plug. <laughs> no, my new Yamaha fouled a plug. I don't think it's the Yamaha. Uh, I think it has something to do with this Mevo thing. I'm going to have to figure out a new system for doing this. Um, Edward Rojas says, Honda's new CRF line. What do you think? We answered that last week. That would be Tech Talk Taco Tuesday number 68. It's up on YouTube. It's kind of a no-frills edition because uh, I didn't have time to add some uh, sound and stuff to it, some music to it. So you're going to have to just suffer with that. Um, Kenny Canewer says, great review, DBT. I currently have a... 2018 KTM 1290 Super Adventure R and have taken out of parts of a few different adventure tour routes. The Smoky Mountain 500, the Kentucky Adventure Tour. I found that the KTM has a little is a little tall and top heavy for me and definitely takes two people to pick up, for me anyways. And I'm looking for something a little lighter with a lower center of gravity for ADV dual sport riding. Can you comment on comparisons of the Tenere 700 to a dual sport like the Husqvarna 350, 501, 701 Enduro? Thank you. Yeah, I can comment on that. Um, 
Get a KTM 500. Oh, wait, that wasn't one of the options. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you're, you're at the, at the, you're riding like the gold wing of adventure bikes at the 1290 level. And I, I actually don't even ride um, the 1290 because it's just, it's just so much. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing motor. It's great on the street, but it, it does have a, a very big bike feel. And so what you're doing is very common these days. There's a lot of riders that are, you know, looking to downsize. Um, it kind of depends on what you're really wanting to do. So for me, and and you can listen to almost any Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, and I probably badmouth the K, the Husky 701 and the KTM 690. It's just it's just this bike that fits in the middle, and it doesn't fit anywhere. It doesn't do anything that good, and it it's really so not good at not doing anything that I don't like it. It doesn't have a it doesn't have a place. So then it has man, it has a brilliant single cylinder motor in it. It just other than that, it, I'm lost on that bike. Um, so if you're looking for an adventure bike, the Tenere is the answer there in that question. That that would be your adventure bike. If you're looking for a dual sport bike, something you're going to do more single track trail, not really log a lot of on-road miles, then you're looking at the Husky 501 or the 350. And, you know, the, those the, the Tenere, the, the 701 is this lost thing that tries to do everything, but it doesn't do anything. And then the 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 Tenere 700 is an adventure bike and the other ones are dual sport bikes and those are two different completely different categories so you kind of have to decide and if you're deciding between 350 and 501 watch any of the reviews that we have when we start talking about what a 350 is if you like to rev a bike oh hey hold on, hold on a second hold on a second hold on uh you, you there Logan yeah yeah you just hang you just hold on to your horses for one second you know what you got to do right what Oh, yeah, what? You're live on Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. You know that, yeah? I was guessing. Yeah, you were guessing. Good. So I'm ex- I'm answering a guy's question. I'm telling him that if he wants a 350, he he wants a bike that revs. And if he wants a 500, he wants a bike that torques. Yes. Yeah. Who makes Huskies, Logan? Oh. That's where, cool. Where, 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 are they, where, where are Huskies made? Yeah, you, you, this is your part of your homework. <laughs> okay, so so why don't you do your what? Where what? Uh, KTM's a good sponsor in the show. Um, what are they? The they're based in Marietta, California, like their North North America headquarters. Right, and they're powered by a distinct ready to race mentality. Yeah, what are they? KTM is what. Uh, Remember, this is your homework assignment, buddy. You're right now. You're you're hovering on D and only slipping down. <laughs> I'm gonna have I'm gonna have I'm gonna have your grandparents make you do push-ups and no ice cream if you don't get this right. I got their number. Uh, <laughs> it's the world's leading high performance. I bet you everybody in the chat room road. could do. <laughs> is it on road and off road? Motorcycle company? Manufacturer, yeah. Manufacturer. Right. With North American headquarters. Based in Marietta, California. Okay, keep going. Over the years? Over the years, they have... I'm going to dress you up in a KTM outfit and and make you stand up on a stage and do this like a little 
Like a little tea, what, I'm a little tea top, cute, I'm gonna have you sing it. Next, if you don't do this right, I'm gonna have you come in and sing this next time. <laughs> okay, so uh, it's built a reputation as a fierce competitor. On racetracks around the world. Uh-huh, and the brands? Leading, no, uh, global success. Right, getting most of the words right. <laughs> reflected in every product it develops and move it makes. That's it. Bingo. Not, not, not too bad. When are you going to be back? Um... I think the... Does not compute. Does not compute. Does not compute. <laughs> okay. Hey, uh, thanks for calling in, Logan. You, you, if, if you don't have that memorized, like, you're not getting to read it next time. You have to memorize it. Uh, no more dirt bikes for you. You're getting cut off. And mountain okay. bikes, too. <laughs> okay, we'll see you when you're back. Yep. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Everybody, that was Logan. He's generally my co-host. Uh, who, who? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, somebody says that kid needs some crib notes. <laughs> he should. He should have known before he made the call. He called me. Remember, uh, Abby uh, says the XR650 is the best bike known to man. And uh, Dwayne Coulter says, "What do you think the absolute best all-around tour of Idaho bike is?" I'm on an XR650R, and I'm going to get something lighter, a KTM 300. Oh boy. Uh, let's see. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna say KTM 500. <laughs> um, Rusty Nail gave Logan a C plus. Are you kidding? No one of these kids are getting soft. He failed. That was that was uh, that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't the best uh, um, read. So, okay, I think we've kind of run through most of the questions uh, as far as I can tell. I got a couple more that are popping through. Troy Hicks says, so how does your ability as probably formerly one of the top one-tenth of one percent of riders in the world and now probably still in the top two percent of world riders compare and relate to us weekend warriors? Most of us never understand one-sixteenth of a throttle. Well, I think your math is off on my one percent, wherever percent. I am slid way down the ladder on that. <laughs> so um, what does one-sixteenth throttle mean? Um uh, just a little bit. <laughs> it's 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 just when you kind of crack the throttle, and I don't. It, that's the kind of that's the throttle range where if you want to be a better rider, if you want to learn how to ride, that's the throttle range you need to be paying attention to, um, because that's you know that's throttle response and that's traction. And when you watch guys like Graham Jarvis and. Chris Birch and other guys that you see doing all these videos on both regular and adventure bikes. Uh, it's really important that you have a feeling for where that is. And so when your bike is all jacked up and here's when I you know, hop on my pedestal and everybody's, I need more power and I want, I'm going to buy this and that. They completely forget about that. The first quarter of throttle because the bikes, a lot of these bikes that get modified with all these kits and pipes and tuning this and all this other stuff. They don't run down there, uh, hardly at all. Um, you have to kind of skip that out. And so basically it's like taking your throttle, turning it half throttle and dumping the clutch. 
you you can't let your clutch out and then start working the throttle because the bike just doesn't run there because it wants to stall or there's such a big step in the throttle and the power that it doesn't really work. Uh, and Troy Hicks uh, comes back and says, that's 4%. That's good. That's more math than I like to do. <laughs> so, yeah, just off. Uh, hey, and then Doug Derby says, trials training, uh, trials riding if you want to learn throttle control. And I wanted to bring that up. If you noticed on the flasher behind us, on the boards behind us, there's a couple pictures of trials events. One of the test bikes we have now is a Gas Gas TXT 300. Uh, maybe you saw my I've got you in my pocket video episode with that bike. Um, so, you know, we take it from everything. We're going all the way from big adventure bikes all the way back down to, you know, super light, tiny trials bikes. And he's absolutely right. And the interesting thing was, so Gas Gas USA, which is now a part of KTM, uh, decided because the trials, the whole trials series, all trials events, most, you know, trials events, especially on the national scene, pretty much got shut down. So, so Gas Gas hosted an invitational trials event out at their facility in California, and I got invited to, of course, not to ride. Uh, well, I got to ride, but not to compete because, like I said, they wanted good riders there. Um, and they had uh, guys from all the brands. They had, they had a whole a lot of Shurkos. There was a guy from Beta. Uh, there, was, there, was, um, uh, there were no Montessas, uh, but uh, there was some Scorpas as well. And they've had both a men's and a women's class. And I'm sure someplace you can find a write-up on the event that'll talk about it. But what a, f a phenomenal event. And and I kind of asked around when some of the KTM, you know, the KTM executives were there and stuff. I said, so what is the, what's the goal? You know, what's really going to happen with Gas Gas? And of course, they're sort of getting assimilated into the KTM brand. Uh, and it pisses a lot of people off. Uh, although I don't know why, because it'll just give you, now you can have a red KTM. Uh, or something that's very similar. And so the plan is they're going to continue with trials bikes. Uh, I suspect the trials bikes will, will still be um, made in Spain, at least for the foreseeable future. And those are, you know, some of the best trials. The trials bikes are all amazing. And I, I can't I can't really evaluate a trials bike to the level that like a good trials bike rider could. But for us mortals, they're anything you could imagine. And so KTM is going, well, we want this sport, this thing to grow. And in and, and all of my motorcycle journalism, I've heard this seven to ten times now. Different, There'll be a spike of something or somehow, you know, whether it was, you know, an aluminum frame trials bike. And, oh, this is going to change everything. And, and Or maybe we got a world's trials event over in the U.S. And this is going to change everything. Everybody's going to see how good it is. And trials have just kind of stayed the same. It's the same same thing all the time. Uh but they want to get more trials bikes out. And I don't think there's going to be a huge surge in it. But what I feel, and this is, this is where it's real interesting. If you start watching where the best enduro riders are coming from, they're coming from a trials background. And, so, and that's starting to bleed down. Because anytime I've gone to like an extreme enduro event, you look at the guys that are riding and then you look at their kids. And they all have these little O-sets. And by the way, OSET still, in my world, makes the best electric motorcycle out there. They make these kid-sized electric trials bikes. And so kids now are familiar with that sort of bike, a bike with no seat. It's funny because the trials guys, you talk to them and they call the bikes that we ride seat bikes. You know, So the kids have actually had some experience with it. And, and now since they've been able to watch the videos and see the things that some of these riders are doing, they're trying it. Of course they're trying it. And 
when they come off that small little electric bike, maybe some of them are going to gravitate towards wanting a trials bike when they get a little bit bigger. Uh, it's definitely a great training tool. And so I know most of the top extreme enduro riders, most of the top enduro riders that I know also have a trials bike and they practice on them and they train with them because it helps the balance and everything so much. And I still, when I get a chance, I still take my trials bike out and goof around with it because it does help. It helps me ride everything better. So, and hopefully with KTM coming in there, now there's going to be a reliable source of parts, a, you know, consistent source of parts for those bikes. And, uh, Pretty soon we're going to have a video up about that bike and a test on that bike. So uh, we will uh, we will get everything uh, kind of up there so you can read about those bikes in the near future. Um, and Rusty Nail says the Tenere uh, 700 is too big for the Tour of Idaho. So it was an XR650 in my opinion, actually. Um, <laughs> and I think somebody just... Uh, He's going to just buy a new KTM 500. Did I sell another new KTM? I hope so. If 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 I did sell a new KTM, please send me an email and tell me that I sold it so I can tell KTM and then they can continue to help bring you this broadcast as well as uh, climb motorcycle gear. Again, like I said, we announced the winners. It was Slow Dirt Girl uh, was the main winner on our thing. She's going to get a new climb arsenal vest, which is super awesome. It's funny because I've been wearing the Climb Knack Pack and I'm thinking about switching back to Arsenal Vest because I pulled it out today and to shoot a photo of it. And I was like, I kind of want to wear this because it just fits everything. It doesn't flop around as much. Uh, and then um, uh, the second place was uh, Dirt Slugs. You, I think it's Utah Dirt Slugs was our second place. And they ended up getting a trail pack. And then... Uh, friend of mine, uh, Ross Martin, uh, did a YouTube video where he shows you about a retractable camelback, uh, uh, drink thing, which, uh, if you want to learn a couple things, learn what to do and what not to do. I think Victor even made a video It's probably part of the what not to do uh, clan. And <laughs> that's, uh, that's where we're at with, uh, with that thing. So at the moment, I think we are uh, we've run up on our time limit. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, um, any news on the KTM 390 adventure bike mods? I got wheels, by the way. I managed to procure a set of hubs that fit on that bike, and I am now my wheels are at WUSA uh, getting some XL rims spoked up on that, so wheels are coming. Uh, I believe I have some double-take mirrors coming for it. I have an ECU that is uh, on its way uh, to make it go faster and start at the same time. Uh, Cause I have the one that makes it go faster, but it doesn't start very well. Um, what else do we got going on with that thing? I'm going to service the suspension uh, or at least uh, do the fork seals and maybe get a graphics kit. Anybody have any suggestions for graphics kits? Uh, that's uh and Mark wants to know, do I find the vest hot? Um, no, actually, I don't. Um, not actually any more than a than a backpack, uh, to be honest with you. It's maybe it's maybe a little less hot on the back, and I don't notice it being that um, uh, obtrusive in the front. And it kind of depends on how you load it down and how much stuff you have in it. But uh, the vest is not necessarily uh, that much hotter. 
Dwayne says, you did probably sell me a new KTM 500C. I'll let you know how the test ride goes. Oh, it, it, don't ride it if you don't want to buy it. That's just plain and simple. <laughs> uh, what hubs fit the 390? Troy, they were off a Husqvarna uh, smart smart pin or vilt pin or some, one of those things. Uh, there's one of those that has 17-inch has wheels and spoked hubs. And that's what I managed to procure the hubs off of. So, um, hey, if, if that, uh, Dwayne, if that vest is hot, wear the climb to car pro Jersey. I was going to talk about that when I was going to talk about what climb gear you should be wearing this week. Uh, there's a review on an older Dakar pro Jersey. Um, they're still my favorite when it's hot because it's like wearing a jacket in the protection sense, but it's like wearing nothing cause it's so vented, uh, when you are riding. So with that, I think we're going to call it a show unless we get any other um, any other quick questions at the end. Um, hey, if you want to, if you're always wondering, hey, well, how can we support you? Uh, at the bottom of most of our stories, we also have a link through to some Amazon uh, stuff. If you uh, click through on any of those things or search through the little search bar down there, and you go there, we get a little chunk of something if you buy it. So. The next time you're, you know, buying a new car or a motorcycle on Amazon, you know, some high dollar purchase, just uh, click through on dirt bike tests before you do that. You know, stereo equipment, the, the big ticket items. Uh, do that. Uh, you can always, uh, one of our limited supply t-shirts. Uh, uh, that just means I get to be a post office boy uh, also in the morning when you uh, click through and do that. And uh, we don't have any other big exciting breaking news uh we've got some yamahas to test we're going to go ride the new yz450 at Glen helen this week i was going to talk about the kx450 but i didn't ride it enough to talk about it in depth although it wasn't changed a whole lot but it was changed uh and i was pleasantly surprised uh with how that bike worked and we'll probably do a podcast about that bike so other than that uh thanks everybody for joining in and uh we will see you out on the trails and hopefully i'll get my sound fixed so cheers